Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Frederick Barnard in the 1920s made this statement. He said, a picture is worth a thousand words. A picture is worth a thousand words. And of course, he is right. We are driven by the uh, pictures that we see. You can say so much with just a picture. More important than than the visual pictures we see are, are the pictures, the mental pictures though, that we keep and hold in our minds. Because the pictures, the things that we see with our minds, the way we understand uh, certain things by, the, by, by virtue of the way we see them drives our choices and our choices always impact our futures. I can remember as a little boy, my mother putting on a plate one time, something called Brussels sprouts. I said, mom, what are these? She said, Brussels sprouts. I said, okay. I put my fork into that Brussels sprout, put it in my mouth, and from that day forward, I have had this negative association of Brussels, Belgium, with a very bad taste. I've never wanted to go to Brussels because of Brussels sprouts. I have this picture, this memory in my mind. So many of my memories tend to be associated with food. I'll never forget one time I was flying from Cairo to Amman, Jordan, and and with a group of Americans, and they put us all on the back of this old Boeing jet. And uh, everyone, all the natives were put in the front, and we were put all the way in the back. And... uh, Some of the the other passengers had never flown before, and, and, and they got very sick and um, evidently they don't use bags there and and it, it was just a very um, memorable trip <laughs> and right in the middle of all of that they served us breakfast and, and part of breakfast was eggs and um, stewed hot tomatoes and now from this day forward when I see a stewed hot tomato I, I just I can't do it anymore I just can't do it anymore. These, these pictures, these associations are, are powerful. They're, they're, they're strong. We carry with us all kinds of mental pictures that drive our choices that determine our futures. And one of the most important pictures that we can carry in our minds is, is a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. That the picture we have, the, 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 the way in which we understand mentally what the church is, that it is important is borne witness to by the fact that in the New Testament, there are no fewer than 95 pictures of the church. Do you think that perhaps God was trying to say something to us? So important is the church to the heart of God that in his own word, he gives us no fewer than 95 pictures. And he says to us again and again and again, look and see and understand this thing called the church. I I want you to understand it clearly. I want you to understand it rightly. So that, why? So that, so that, so that you can make the right choices and experience the right future. Your view of the church matters. So I wanna spend some time between now and Christmas looking at God's pictures of the church. Some of them, not all 95, you will be relieved. You will be relieved, not all 95, some of them. But I wanna spend some time looking at uh, some of the key pictures of the church of Jesus Christ And uh, I want you to see with me 
why that matters for you, and then also why it matters for the world. So I want to invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, and today we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Now, Peter, uh, up to this point, he's comparing the impact of Christ's coming into this world. He, he uh, likens Christ, he's using all kinds of pictures. He likens Christ to a living stone. He likens the church to a building under construction. And, and then he goes back and he likens the ch- Christ to a living stone over which people trip, over which they fall, a stone that causes incredible offense. And, and Peter basically says it, that that stone offends those who don't believe, but for those of you who do believe, it creates the most extraordinary honor. The most extraordinary honor. He makes you something that you could never have been on your own. And he turns and he says, beginning at verse nine, these words. He says, but you, uh, unbelievers are destined to live separated from God, but you, but you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once, verse 10, once, once upon a time, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once, once upon a time, you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. And beloved, I urge you on the basis of those things, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage against war against your soul. I urge you, verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, if you've got a, 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 a paper Bible before you, you make notes in your Bible, I want you to notice something with me and mark it. Notice that, that at the end in verse 12, Peter does not say, if they say evil about you, What does he say? When. Don't miss that. He doesn't say if. He doesn't say if. He doesn't say if. He says when. Now, Father God, as we open up your word today and as uh, we we enter into this extraordinary gallery of pictures, picture after picture after picture after picture after picture of your church, And as these pictures come before us, we we need the help of your Holy Spirit to see them and to see them rightly. And Father God, my prayer is that as we begin this series and as we we begin into this particular message as as well, the Lord God, as as we come and are exposed to your word with the help of your spirit, would you correct our vision would you correct our understanding? Would you correct uh, our, our insight? And would you grant us on the basis of a right picture the uh, sense of urgency to make right choices and out of that to choose a future that will honor you driven by how we see the church? And I pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, for most of us, I would would guess for most of us, church has always been part of our larger lives. Uh, It has been something that we do. It's been something we do on Sundays. It is something that uh, uh, is a place we go. Uh, It's a space and it's a place. It's a space for events. It's a place to go. Where are you going? I'm going to church. What did you do? We did church. What does that mean? Well, we worshiped. Um, we might also see uh, the church's people 
And you've probably been told that a million times. The church is not a building. The church is people and all of that, all of that. And it's true, it's true, it's true. But we might also look at that mental picture that we have and see the church as people with whom we uh, share uh, seats and prayers and songs and sermons all in a worship center. That picture of the church might also include a smaller group that we here at Center Grove call life groups. Um, where we meet together in a dedicated room or in someone's home and we share parts of our lives as we live them. But the primary picture for so many of us, if we were honest, if, if we could just pull out that mental picture when we hear the word church, for so many of us, what it brings almost immediately to the fore is a space and a place. A space and a place. Maybe faces, but a space and a place, an event. And talk, technology, of course, has allowed us to bring that space and that place into our own homes. And uh, we've been able to create our own space and our own place and have our own kind of event in our homes that COVID nurtured that. But it really didn't change the way we saw church. And there's a problem there. What exactly should we see when we see church? What exactly should we think of when we think of church? It's helpful for us to start here with Peter in 1 Peter 2, because what he does here is he basically gives us an overview of what God sees when he sees the church, what the world sees when it sees the church, and then what we will see one day as the church. And I wanna unpack that for us this morning as we get started. What God sees when he sees the church, what the world sees when it sees the church, and what we will see one day as the church. So uh, phenomenal to me as it come to this passage that we don't get just one picture, we get this whole collection. It's like stepping into, um, uh, uh, I don't wanna say museum, but a picture gallery. And he says, come on in here, I wanna show you something. And it's boom, 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 boom. I want you to see something. Okay, good. Boom, 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 boom. I want you to understand something. Okay, good. Why? Boom, boom, boom. Picture after picture after picture. Let's look together at these. First of all, I want you to see the, the, the early pictures that, um, that Peter shows us are pictures of the church the way God sees it, which I think is a good place to start. I mean, he, he designed it, right? Right? Yes, oh good, there you are. He designed it, right? And, and uh, so he knows what's, how it works and, 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 and what it's all about. So let's start there. Four pictures. By these pictures, excuse me, by these pictures, Peter tells believers who they are together. And with these pictures, he, he actually makes a point that may not be obvious at first, but gets clearer as we go. He shows us who we are together, and then he shows us what marks us as different from the rest of the world by showing us who we are based upon how God sees us. So let's take a quick tour of the first four pictures because we've got quite a, a gallery here, and we really need to go to one particular picture. So are you ready? Are you ready? All right, let's go. Picture number one. Paul says, from God's perspective, what Israel was in the Old Testament, the church is in the new and for all eternity. He says, here are four pictures. They used to apply to Israel as God's people. Now they apply to those who are in Christ as God's people. The world may have rejected Christ. The world may have been offended by him, might have tripped over him, and, and, and as a result, they harmed themselves in their rejection. But you've been blessed. Let me show you why. Let me show you what God sees when he sees you. Number one, when God sees you, he sees you as a chosen race. This is what you have become. Now, and I, I'm, I'm speaking to Americans. How many of you are Americans? Yes. Some of, how many of you are just passing through? Okay. I'll check back with you later. A chosen race. What does that mean? It means chosen by God himself, forged into one new race by union with Christ. In Christ, there is no ethnicity. There is no racial division. There is a new race. 
There is a new race. There is a new race. In this world, we are separated and divided by race and ethnicity and, and, and nationality. All of that in Christ is gone. And uh, uh, this next Sunday, I won't be here. I'm going to be speaking at the Chiswick Baptist Church in London, England. And uh, it is a multicultural church. There will be people from all over the world attending. I trust that Jesus doesn't return, Lord doesn't send back and, and I make it across the pond. That there will be, there will be all kinds of nationalities. I talked to the pastor just this week as I was getting ready to go. He said, we got all kinds of nationalities. What was he saying? We're really different. We're a picture of heaven. We got people from all kinds of places and all kinds of races in our, in our church, in our church. You are a chosen race. Secondly, he says you are a royal priesthood. In other words, you are the king's own priest in, in a uh, new eternal kingdom. This is a, an interest. This is a, this is one of those pictures where you probably just need to sta stop, stand, and stare for a while. But we don't have time. But we don't have time. But but here, what he's saying is, you have a place of eternal privilege. God sees you as eternally privileged. He gives you the privilege of offering your life as a living sacrifice to him. You've been invited and you are constantly invited to live in the presence of all that is good and all that is life-giving, all that is pure and, 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 and absolute power, absolute holiness and absolute love. And you're invited to do that all without fear, all without being destroyed, which is what would happen to you if you were not invited in, if your life had not been transformed by Christ, if you did not have your life covered in his righteousness, that's what would happen to you. That doesn't happen anymore. Now you're a royal priesthood. You can give him all of you and you're always welcome in in the face of absolute purity, power, and love. You're always welcome. You're always welcome then. He says, you're a holy nation, a, a nation that is holy in the sense of being uniquely set apart for God's use and God's service alone. That there is nothing and no one like the church. Uh, you, you, you are holy, dedicated, dedicated, dedicated. Dedicated. Now, can I just I say, I, I always want to stop at each one of these pictures and kind of say, hey, notice, did you see the colors here? And the, I don't have time, do I? No, you don't. Okay, but quickly, I'll take a little time. Um, this, uh, th this holiness, this, this being set apart, this is why God is so offended when we take and use our lives for something other than him. It is because we, we're holy. We've been set apart. We've been dedicated for his use. We, they aren't, our lives aren't to be used for anything less than his best. When we do, we, we abuse these lives that he's given to us. When churches, because we're talking about the church, when churches pursue things that are not of him, good things, but they aren't holy things, then churches violate violate this calling, this gifting as a holy nation. To expand on that, he goes on and he says, you are also a people for his own possession. And I love this picture as well because this is a picture of, of, of God's people, of, of the church, of all of you that I'm seeing now, many of you members of Center Grove, all of you I'm seeing now, custom-made, custom-built for himself in this time, in this season, you are here with your gifts, your abilities, your personality, your background. You are here for a reason. God put you in this family, this family. He wants you here and we need you here. This is a people God has custom made for himself. Every 
part of the church, every member specifically designed by him, for him, to be his, to be his tribe, his people, his property. In fact, another way to translate that phrase right there is, you are God's property. You are God's property. If you have to get a tattoo, that's what you need to put on yourself. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but it's good. God's property. And if God gave us serial numbers, you should put that on there too, but I don't think he does. I'm definitely sure it's not 666. All right. There's a reason why all of this is true. There's a reason why they are, uh, and we are, a new race, a privileged priesthood, a holy nation, God's own property. Notice what Peter says at the end of verse 9. The reason why we are all these things is so that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This was our purpose from the very beginning. This was our purpose from the garden. It was to put on display the excellency of who God is. With all of our lives, bring him glory. But he's called us back and he's moved us out of darkness into light so that we might come back to our original purpose of declaring, proclaiming how excellent our God is. And what this means is, as we gather up this verse, is that the people who are his church are also together his messengers, his witnesses, his ambassadors, his representatives. There is no greater, higher privilege that I can think of than to be an emissary of such a powerful, life-giving God in a dying world of dying people. Peter says, this is who you are. And this is how God sees you. But also to balance this and to help them see with an even sharper focus, Peter next offers a second set of pictures. It's like he moves us in this portrait gallery from, from one room to the next. And the next one only has two pictures. And, it's kind of, and both of them are unique because they're before and after, before and after, before and after. In the first pictures, he explains who believers are together, that first, first room in the gallery. In the second room, he shows us why we are the people we are. And he says, verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Why? Yeah, you told us that, you, Peter. We, we got that. It's kind of like, wait a minute. We, we just saw, yeah, but stay here. Why? Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In other words, before Christ, you had no special identity. You had no special status. You had no consequences, persons, or as a people, just like everyone else. You were destined to uh, uh, an eternity separated from all that is God's and all that is good. Before Christ, what that meant was that you had no one to show you mercy. One of the places where the existentialists get it right. And uh, the atheists get it right and the agnostics come close to getting it right is this, that where there is no God, all you have is a cold cosmos that could not care less whether good is good or whether good is done or wrong is done, whether there is justice or injustice. You just have a process, a, 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 a collection of material processes and systems that work regardless of what happens to you and it does not care. And it does not matter. That's where you were. That's where you were. No consequence, no mercy. No consequence, no pity. But now, that's before. Let's look at after. Now, now. You are God's people now. 
you have received mercy. And I love this because what, what Peter is saying here, and if I could just join him in his gallery, I'd put a little phrase up under there. I would say, mercy has made all the difference. Mercy makes all the difference. Mercy makes all the difference. Mercy makes all the difference. The cosmos does not care. People will only care so long as caring for you doesn't get in the way of them caring for themselves. There is no mercy to be found anywhere except in Christ, and you found it. Mercy makes all the difference. God, by his mercy given and and received in Christ, God has made you eternally his. He's given you eternal significance, and you are completely, and this room is so important, you are completely different from what you were. You are not what you were. Not a people, now a people. No mercy, now mercy. Now before we explore what that actually means, let me just pause and remind you of this. The church is never something that is done. It is not a place to be visited. The church is a people. Yeah, you say, I know that. Okay, good, good, good. Put them in your picture. You know, I could just about quit right there. Put them in your picture. You say, you know that, good. Then when you think of the church, don't think of places, don't think of spaces, think of faces. Put them in your picture. The church is is a people who, though broken, have been healed, made new, made one together, and they're made to stand together. And not only that, here we go, here we go, this is important. They're made not just to stand together, but they're made to stand out as a new kind of community, a new kind of people, a people radically different by God's peculiar grace and mercy. Now, here we go. Here we go, you ready? So that's how God sees us, but what does that mean for how the world sees us? I'm so glad, so glad you asked because I, I want to take you on to, 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 to verse 11 and I want to take you into the next room in the gallery, okay? So we've been here, really encouraging. This is, this is how God sees you and then we've been in the next room and, 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 and in a way, this is how you could see yourself, you know, you, what you weren't and what you are now before and after, really, really nice. Come on into this next room because here I want to show you what, the, what you look like to the world how the world sees you. You ready? Peter says, now this is going to be obvious to you right away, but it will be before I'm done. Peter says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Now, you are going to expect me to drill down on the passions of the flesh that war against your soul. I know that's what you think I'm going to do. And maybe I should. Maybe I should. But today, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I want you to see the picture. I want you to see the picture. Yeah, we've been, we talked about battle enough. I don't have to go back there. We've already done that, but I'm I want you to see the picture. Do you see the picture that he introduces right away, tucks it right at the very beginning? He said, I urge you, because this is who you are, to do these things. Who are you? You are sojourners and exiles. According to who? According to who? The world that sees you. The world that sees you. Now, when Mitch and I fly out of Charlotte and, and head to London, uh, and we're going to, to meet with some missions partners, particularly those who are dealing with immigrants and, and so on and so forth, uh, churches there to, to help reach the world. As we're going there, um, when we arrive, we're going to become sojourners, 
and in a sense, exiles, because that isn't home. Now, I studied at Oxford for a while and all of that, so I've been to, to the UK before several times, but um, that's not home. So when I get there, the first thing they're gonna do is they wanna, well, first I gotta take a COVID test to prove that I'm healthy. Y'all pray because, you know, what a terrible thing to go there and then be quarantined in a hotel the whole time we're there. Yeah, not a good thing. So, but I'm gonna have to take that test. But then I'm gonna have to show them, maybe I show them a passport first. I don't know whether they want the passport or the COVID test before they decide what to do with me, but they're gonna do something with me one way or the other. And uh, they're gonna wanna know who are you? And then they're gonna, they always ask this, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? They're gonna wanna know because they don't want me to stay. I don't belong there. Now it's fine for me to visit, I guess, as long as I act properly, but they don't want me to stay there. They wanna know why I'm there. They wanna know how long I'll be there and when I plan on leaving because that isn't home. That isn't home. Now we'll make a, a temporary home in a cheap hotel somewhere in London, but that won't be home. We will be exiled in a way, separated by our, from our home country. It's all temporary. We're just passing through. Hey, here's what I want you to see. Peter says that the church is made up of people who, because of who they are, are living now in a place that is no longer their home. That the church is a community of sojourners and exiles, and the world is constantly saying to us, why don't you move along? This living as a, as a sojourner in exile is how Abraham saw and described himself in the Old Testament to his Hittite neighbors. And from Abraham on, there's this long tradition of people chosen by God to become his people, a people that he calls to live as aliens and strangers in the places where they live until they make it to a better place, until they make it to the place where he is, the place where he lives, the place that he now gives them permission to call home. I love the way Hebrews 13, 14 puts it. It says, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And what Peter is doing here is he's making the case that because all Christians are God's citizens of God's holy nation, they are strangers and aliens here and everywhere they are and their strangeness their alienation from the nations is directly, directly dependent upon their relationship to and faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. I don't know how else to say this, but we need to go on and acknowledge this. We are a peculiar people. We are strange. I've always had a problem with churches that try to make Jesus cool. You know, skinny jeans and crazy hair and You say, oh, there are such churches? Where have you been? <laughs> you can't make Jesus cool without losing Jesus. Now, I, I don't know that Jesus has anything really against skinny jeans. I mean, I, they're out of fashion now, so quit wearing them. <laughs> Some of you should never have been wearing them anyway. 
Okay, I've got to quit. And that, okay. The idea, the idea is, was that if we could just make Jesus cool, somehow he would be accepted and people would be saved. That's not how it works. Jesus, in all of his beauty and all the life that he brings, is always counter to the culture. He always offends. If you try to make Jesus acceptable, then you change who he is and you change what he has done. You can't talk about the cross and talk about sin as being a problem. That's not cool. And so, so why are you making this big deal, Pastor? Why, why are you kind of drilling, drilling into this? Well, here's, here's the reason. Because at the end of the day, Jesus himself was the ultimate sojourner and the ultimate exile. He left his home to come here. And when he got here, he said he had no place to lay his head. He said his home wasn't here. He said his kingdom was not of this earth. And he said again and again in so many ways that the important things in this life are not in this life. Aside from people. Clothes and food and all the other things we worry about are nothing compared, he said, to seeking the Father and the home he has and the home that he is. So this living as sojourners and exiles gives us this a powerful kind of correcting picture of the church. The, the local church is not just a bunch of individuals gathered to sit, stand, stare as others sing and preach and make announcements. The local church is a band of travelers who have no home, at least not right now, at least not right here. And like aliens and foreigners around the globe today, believers don't participate fully in the customs and practices of their home host cultures. Because this is not our home. Where we get in trouble as, as followers of Jesus is where we, we try to build houses here and, and God said, no, I, just get a tent. Just get a tent. Be ready to move. Just get a tent. Because this isn't home. You're just passing through. Now, I'm not against homes. I have a home. The point is, don't get attached to it. One day you're going to die and somebody else is going to live in your house. Then they're going to remodel it because they don't like the way you decorated it. Like any wise sojourner or exile, we don't mean to offend while we're here. We don't mean to offend while we're here, but we don't try to blend in all the time everywhere. And this, this is irritating to the locals. What makes us foreign and different is who we are and how we live and the reasons why. Who we are in Christ because of what God has done for us in Christ means that we don't fit in 
we will always stand out, especially morally. I know we're struggling with this right now. We are, we are so struggling with this right now because most of us have lived in a culture that at least tipped its hat to our morality. And it doesn't do that anymore. It actually condemns our morality. And so we stand out more, we stick out more. We don't share and we never really have society's full slate of values and our customs. Why? Because we're citizens of God's holy nation. We are always foreigners, always aliens to the pagans. And because of who we are and whose we are, Peter says in this passage, we must abstain from carnal desires and maintain a good way of life among the pagans. And so this is kind of the bad news of the church, if you will. You're different. And if you stay faithful, you will find that you're not wanted. You will find that you're rejected. You will find that you're open different levels of abuse and mistreatment as strangers, as foreigners, and exiles. We're already seeing that, and we're going to see more of it. Why don't you all just change Be like us, or why don't you just move along? Finally, I want you to see, Peter points us to what the church can look for. And it's tucked away too, but I don't want you to miss it before we leave this gallery. In verse 12, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when, not if, they speak against you because you're different, as evildoers, calling what you call good evil and what you call evil good, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Underline that word, day of visitation. (laughs) I'm looking forward to that day of visitation. Let me tell you what that is and why. as I unpack this verse. Peter says in verse 12, when believers maintain their identity as God's holy people in a pagan world, they've gotta be prepared to suffer unjustly and they've gotta be prepared to suffer without retaliation for holding to their convictions and their values as followers of Jesus. Now, some believers may want to retaliate verbally or physically against those who unfairly condemn them giving back what is given to them. Other believers will always also have the temptation to kind of blend in and privatize their faith, to give the appearance of fitting in morally with a culture, effectively becoming closet Christians. But there is a third way, and that's what Peter advocates for here. And there is a third way because of what the church will see one day. And Peter describes it, explains it, prescribes it. Believers, he says here in verse 12, are to live together as faithful witnesses to the truth of Christ's gospel in ways that don't unnecessarily offend the expectations of society. As sojourners and exiles, they're to appreciate and value and respect their host home, but nevertheless maintain their own distinct identity while they are in it. Why? Because we're guests in a house that is no longer our home. And so believers should live here in every way that is seen by our hosts as good without living in any way that denies who God has made us to be in Christ. And this is not easy. But when they call us evildoers, let it always be, Peter is saying, for doing the things that God calls good. But in all other things, let's show and affirm the good that even the pagans see and long for. 
Why? Because, Peter says, eventually some of them will be drawn to Christ and be saved. There will be those there on that last day, the day that Jesus comes again, and all of history is brought to a close. There will come a day when they will glorify God because they will say, I saw a picture of a beautiful community that had life about it. And that community was always pointing to Christ Jesus as the source of life. And while I spoke evil of them at first and I didn't understand them, the more I saw the picture they showed and the more I heard the message they shared, I finally came to the conclusion that I was living in darkness and needed to walk in light. So one day we're going to see a day when two things will happen. Some who called us evil will be standing with us changed. And secondly, one day, after all of our traveling and being told to move on, the Lord Jesus is going to look at us and say, Welcome. Remember I told you I have a place for you? Well, here, here it is. No more exile for you. No more travel. No more being told to move on. No more being told that you're backwards, that you're a hater, that you're stupid, ignorant. whole time you and I both know you were mine made for me made to be with me welcome home welcome home now what I don't want you to miss is that between now and then you and I are meant to be on this journey together this, this is not a solo endeavor. And in the same way that we ought to be living in community, pointing others to the beauty of the life that is in Christ Jesus, we need each other to be constantly pointing each other to the beauty of the life that is in Jesus. And when we grow weary and we grow weary in well-doing from the fight, we need to be the ones who are saying to each other, remember the scripture says, remember the Lord says, don't you grow weary in well-doing for In due season, you will reap if you do not give up. Therefore, in every opportunity you have, you do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. One of the best ways in which we can do good to the world is show them the life of Jesus and tell them the good news, the gospel of Jesus. And one of the best gifts we can give to each other, one of the best ways we can do good is to keep pointing to that same Jesus to each other and say, hey, Jesus is coming. Home will be here soon. Don't give up. Keep pressing on. Don't give up. Keep pressing on. Don't spend your time here fighting. Don't spend your time here, the world. Don't spend your time here conforming. There's a third way. Show the life, be the light. Keep pointing. Keep going.
and carry all your stuff lightly. We're all a bunch of migrants living in tents. So what is the church? Well, here's the first picture I'm going to lodge in your mind. The church is a strange people. <laughs> Exiled, traveling, and longing together for a home they've never seen. Church is a strange people. Exiled, traveling, and longing for a home they've never seen. That's who we are. That's what this is about. And that's why this matters. If you don't have that in your life, you will be just like the pagans, holding on tightly. To everything you can see, taste, touch, and feel. As if in all of that stuff, there was life. There's no life there. There's your picture. Not spaces, not places. Faces. Traveling. Exiled. Hoping. Longing. Find. Home. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed all across the room. Two groups I want to speak to. First, believers. Honest to goodness, when you hear the word church, when you hear the word church, when you hear the word church, what do you see? When you hear the word church, what do you see? What is the picture? Are the people in your picture? I mean real people. Is there more than just you in that picture? <laughs> we Americans, we love to draw ourselves big in every picture. The people in your picture. Are they sitting and singing or are they moving and going? Any tents in your picture? When life gets hard and your heart is broken, I'm going to ask you a question. And it will be. Have you got some faces to point you to Jesus or do you just have space and a place? church always comes with Christ in a casserole. 
sometimes the church just comes and sits in your front room, puts casseroles in your kitchen and mows the front yard and points you to Jesus. What's in your picture? If it's just you and your wife, just you and your kids, it's not enough. It's not the church. Some of you, when you thought of the church, you thought of an organization or a club that's kept you out, condemned you, criticized you, self-righteous, You're interested in Jesus, but you were not so interested in the church because of the picture you had. But you know something of what it is never to be able to find home. You know something of what it's like to always feel lost even when you're not lost. Hungry even when you've had plenty to eat. Hurting when there's physically nothing wrong with you and it's been this ache, this hunger deep in the heart of who you are and you've not known what it is or how to find it. May I just say to you, that hope, that hunger is for the God who made you and for home. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What he was saying is, I am the way home. If any man, any woman comes, to the Father, it will only be by or through me. So I'm the only way home. Some of you, Find your way home. The gospel is this. God sent his son as a sojourner in exile. Here. To live a sinless life. To die in the place of sinners. And to be raised to do all of that for sinners so that those who repent or turn away from their sins and put their faith in him as the way home might be forgiven given a new life like his and might have eternal life might have home That is what he offers to you today. And so to all the weary, the hungry, the hurting, the broken, the lost, the scared, the frightened, I say to you, come to Jesus. With repentance and faith, come to Jesus. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. ask our pastors in the room if they would stand while you stay seated that they will stand I want you just to see who they are, who we are and I want to invite you to find your way to us as the service comes to a close because we are ready to help you find your way home thank you Lord Jesus for sojourning all this way, for becoming an exile for us so that we might find our true home, our true fatherland, so that we might find rest and security and peace 
between now and then, Lord God, find us faithful living in our tents, putting on display your character as a community together, sharing and announcing the excellencies of who you are as seen in your Son. Find us faithful. For Jesus' sake, and all God's people said, Amen. Pastors, will you stand? Pastors, will you stand? All right, they'll be in the lobby. I will as well. Come and see us. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.